This is, this is Collected Thoughts with Keyshawn Harper. Suppose this. You're driving home late at night, just you and the country road, when all of a sudden, a flying saucer appears from the sky and lands right in front of you. You slam on your brakes to avoid the impact, and as you stare at the spaceship in front of you, two aliens walk out to greet you. In this scenario, they're like the super friendly aliens. Like, they somehow know how to speak English. They're not trying to kill you. Don't worry about that. This is what I want you to hear. Let's say that they tell you that they're learning about the human race. And they've been going around to different countries asking people the same question. They want to know, what is the number one rule of being a good human? So what would you tell them? If you had to sum up being a decent human being into one rule, or one phrase, what would you choose? You can answer this from a variety of perspectives. I think the one that comes to mind first is probably a religious perspective. Like There are dozens of different paths to go down, all of them claiming to be correct, and most of them stating to be mutually exclusive. However, be that as it may, when you look at them, when you look at all of them, a lot of them at least, they do share one sentiment, one policy one golden rule however it's of my belief that sometimes i think we focus so much on following this golden rule that we neglect the thing that makes the golden rule work ourselves but before we get to there first things first what is the golden rule there are a ton of different iterations of it but i'm going to use the version i originally heard it came from a very wise person Someone I looked up to when I was a child. My first grade teacher. She would always say, treat people the way you want to be treated. Like, (laughs) nine times out of ten, when there was something going on, like a scuffle between kids, this would be the thing she says. This is how I first learned the golden rule, before I knew it was even golden. It was the number one rule in the classroom, and for great reason. If you have a bunch of energetic first graders that can be unpredictable as the weather... You need to have some rule, some simple phrase to use that somehow encompasses being nice and not killing each other. And I did some time as a substitute teacher, and boy, I I know that there's a reason for this rule. And in what I consider as a stroke of genius, she chose this rule to be the big one. The one that you have to keep in mind whenever you do something. Obviously, my teacher wasn't the one who made the rule up. Actually, to figure out that, we have to go further back than 20 odd years ago. No, we gotta go way back to find out this origin. So the earliest we can trace some semblance of this saying goes back to Egypt about between 2040 and 1640 BC. It was used as a quote from an Egyptian god by the name of Ma, and it said this. Now this is my command. Do to the doer to make him do. Now I know the phrasing sounds weird, but that usually happens when you translate from one language to another. If we look over to the Tamil tradition, we see another version of this rule in a negative tense. This one states, Do not do to others what you know has hurt yourself. And then of course there's the one we see in multiple verses of the Christian Bible that states it in the most widely known way. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. No matter how you slice it or how it sounds different, they are all saying the same thing. The golden rule in ethics can be known as the maxim of reciprocity. In other words, it's saying I am going to interact with the person in the manner I would appreciate being interacted with. The hope is that by doing this, 
the other person will feel the need to reciprocate the same type of behavior. This essentially is Empathy 101, which is why we teach it to kids at such a young age. Surprisingly, one of the best real-life examples I've ever seen of this came from a 5-second clip I saw on Twitter. Let me give you the backstory. Imagine this. You are a college-level basketball player in the middle of the most intense bout of your life. Just think about it. The roar of the crowd and all eyes being on you. The entire game has been a whirlwind of emotions going back and forth. And at one point, your team was down by 17 points. 17 points! And somehow, through grit and determination, you and your team managed to rally the way back in. And now you're in overtime. Momentum swings back and forth and back and forth. And eventually, your team finds themselves down by only two points with just over two minutes left into overtime. The ball is in your hands. This is your moment. This is the chance to tie the game. The crowd is going wild. All eyes are once again on you. But... The ball slips from your hands and goes out of bounds. Immediately, horrible thoughts begin to flood your mind. And as you begin to stare at the floor, you replay the moment over and over and over again. The team's momentum was all halted because of you. You just gave the other team a perfect chance to widen the gap. The game is now slipping away moment by moment because of you. And as you begin to lose yourself into these thoughts, all of a sudden, You feel a gentle hand come under your chin and raise your head up. In a matter of moments, you went from looking down onto the floor in disgrace to running down the court head high looking for the next play. Without a single word, the teammate who lifted you up during your time of need said all that he needed to say. The message was so clear. Keep your head up. We got this. This is what happened during a UCLA versus Oregon basketball game in 2019. Oregon had control most of the game until UCLA made a monstrous comeback. In a moment that would go down in NCAA history for all the right reasons, Moses Brown turned the ball over during a crucial time. And as he began to hang his head, his teammate Jalen Hands, no pun intended, tilted Moses' chin up in an effort to show him to keep his head up. Miraculously, UCLA was able to complete the comeback and win the game. And you can find this clip online. And even though it took mere moments, I'm sure the effects are still felt today. This is a prime example of compassion. The easy or probably most typical thing Jalen could have done was to yell at Brown for making the error or just ignore it altogether, allowing Moses to hold in his frustration and feel crappy for the rest of the game. However, Jalen took the high road and helped his teammate. I use this example because we've all been there before. Someone makes a blatant error that costs us the game, the contract, the grade and it's beyond easy to pin the frustrations of failure onto that person but i'm also willing to bet that we've all been in brown's shoes as well i mean i've made dumb mistakes my whole life mistakes that still pine over to this day it is those people the people who show us compassion when we feel like we don't deserve it those are the people who impact us the most and that compassion they show it can change the momentum of a game or better yet a life This is why the golden rule is so important. Those who typically understand this philosophy, they tend to show higher levels of sympathy and empathy. These two are the characteristics that generally lead people into having more and longer lasting relationships than others. These people are seen as more kind and more pleasant to be around. And this is just another reason why I love the golden rule, but I think we need to add something to it. Maybe not right away, 
But when a person truly masters to treat others well, this is when they need the second rule the most. Let's rewind for a second back to the story. What if Jalen Hands would have done something different? Instead of lifting Brown up, what if he tore him down? What if he ran past him and bumped into him? Or let's say he yelled at him and called him a dumb teammate. Would anything have changed? The outcome of the game may have been the same, but what about after the game? What about what goes on inside of Brown's head? How would their relationship change? The amount of damage that could have been caused by Jalen if he would have ridiculed Brown is unmeasurable. But at the same time, it's a damage we do to ourselves daily. If you were honest, how would you have been talking to yourself if you were in Brown's shoes? I'm not gonna lie, I beat myself up for lesser things all the time. But it makes us wonder, what kind of teammate are we to ourselves? Are we an uplifting teammate? Or do we constantly tear ourselves down? This leads us to the second rule that we need to learn as children. Some may call it the reverse golden rule. And this one states, treat yourself as you treat others. This all boils down to compassion versus self-compassion. Fresh out the gate, I want to squash a lie that we were led to believe. People who are compassionate to others are not automatically compassionate to themselves. In reality, the correlation between the two is a bit hazy. For example, a study found that people who typically test high for self-compassion also had an affinity towards outward concerns for others, such as forgiveness or being able to see things from another person's point of view. However, in the same breath, that study also said that high levels of self-compassion did not necessarily correlate with large belief systems. This refers to things such as an idea of overall human compassion and altruism. All of this to say that when it comes to compassion versus self-compassion, it depends on the person and honestly the study to determine what the relationship is. One thing is consistent though. People in general are kinder to others than they are to themselves. And there are a lot of reasons behind this. Some can say that's because of how we were raised. We just talked about the golden rule and how it's taught super early in life. Another way to look at it is through the lens of biology. People who are viewed as compassionate are generally seen more desirable as mates, which translate them to procreating more, which in turn creates more compassionate people. It's typically harder to gauge if someone has a high level of self-compassion. We aren't in each other's heads to know what's going on. Because of this, compassion for others is much more rewarded in society, which makes people do it more, while neglecting how we treat ourselves. Either way, we have the problem of having a lot of compassionate people who fail to be compassionate to themselves. Now, self-compassion can look different for different people, so I want to make sure we are on the same page. There's a distinct difference between self-compassion and self-esteem. Self-esteem generally talks about how positively you view yourself most of the time when you compare yourself to others. Self-compassion is a bit different. One of the best summaries of this idea, I feel, is this. Quote, Self-compassion involves approaching one's own suffering with an attitude of kindness and non-judgmental understanding. An easy way to sum it up is that self-compassion is the thing that picks up the pieces when your self-esteem takes a major blow. The importance of this can be summed up into one word, longevity. People who can demonstrate high levels of self-compassion 
often harbors less anxiety, depression, shame, and the fear of failure throughout their lives. And although this can be tough to culminate, just attempting to practice these things can allow you to see improvements on greater social connectedness, emotional intelligence, happiness, and overall life satisfaction. In other words, people with self-compassion are able to get through life's toughest moments in one piece. You are essentially self-healing in an echo chamber. Not to mention, after healing yourself, you have way more energy to pull up others along the way. Despite what you may think, this isn't something you're just born with. Some people may seem to have a knack for it, or you may know people who have higher levels, but one of the biggest factors in determining your self-compassion level is the environment you grew up in. It's found that those who were raised in environments that promoted giving and receiving emotional support grow up to be more inclined to show kindness and compassion to others and themselves. This is great because it means that we can learn how to be more competent in this. When looking into the traits of self-compassionate people, studies have shown three consistent characteristics. The first one is kind of obvious. When those type of people make mistakes, they are kind to themselves and don't judge themselves. I felt like this was more of a definition, but it constantly came up in papers, so it's worth mentioning it here. The next two, though, were very interesting to me. Number two, people with high self-compassion recognized and accepted that failure was part of the human experience. They know that they aren't the first or the last person to ever mess things up. The third behavior is what I struggle with the most. They are able to take a balanced approach of negative emotions when things go wrong. In other words, they can manage their emotions. They give themselves time to feel bad, to grieve, to be upset. But at the same time, they don't allow themselves to be swallowed up by these emotions. For me, this is incredibly difficult because my natural reaction is just to ignore the negative feelings. And it's this failure to acknowledge the feeling that makes the process take longer. I spend so much time trying to shut out my feelings, I only start to begin the healing process where I could have been done with it. I need to take a page out of these people's books and learn to be natural, let things feel naturally. And when that's over, be able to pick myself up from there. Which leads me to the final and probably most practical tip when it comes to practicing self-compassion. Accepting that failure is just part of being human and allowing yourself to balance your emotions require a bit of practice and a good change in mindset, which takes time. But what can we do when we're in the thick of it all? When you messed up and the ugly thoughts begin to spread throughout your head like wildfire. Well, the study in UC Berkeley wanted to find just that thing out. And what they found was pretty interesting to me. They decided to do some experiments. The first step was to make students take a cognitive test with impossible answers. The point was to make them feel as though they failed the exam miserably. Soon after the test, they described how they felt about their experience. This is where it gets interesting. After that, some of the participants were instructed to write about a time where they had to emotionally support a friend or a family member for about two to three minutes. And others just sat there and did nothing. Finally, the participants filled out a self-reported survey that measured their self-esteem, positive effect, and self-compassion using a scale tweaked by the researchers. What they found from the results was that students who reflected and wrote about that time where they practiced compassion well, they ended up scoring higher in self-compassion than those who did not. Of course, there's much more research that needs to be done, but what it does do is open up the notion that the link between showing compassion to others and practicing that same compassion to yourself can simply lie in your thoughts. In other words, 
Perhaps reflecting on how you've shown someone compassion may indeed prime your brain into being more accepting towards self-compassion. It goes back to what we were talking about before. Self-compassion only grows once you've accepted that everyone needs it. And if you're in an environment that supports compassion, you're more likely to receive it for yourself. In the end, the golden rule mostly reminds us of the gravity behind our actions. It helps us keep in mind that the things we do and the things we say can have a massive effect on the people around us, even if we're unaware of it. In the same breath, the reverse golden rule reminds us how we affect ourselves. How our negative self-talk or lack of compassion can have just as much, if not more, damage to ourselves. Compassion and self-compassion go hand in hand. Earlier I mentioned that the perfecting of the relationship could promote longevity. The fact of the matter is, sometimes being an emotional rock for others can be so draining that we fall ourselves. We don't have the energy in the tank to show the same love inward. I, for one, plan on being more mindful of how I treat myself and how that affects my day-to-day life. And I hope you do too. So until next time, take it easy.